There. All done. Now, there may be some small problem in depth perception. Well, it better not screw up my short game. Well? Looks good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I like it better than you realize. Much better. What do you say, Toby? The truth. Looks like shit. That's why I love children, no guile. <laughs> It does look like shit. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minutes 63 and 64, which begin with the reveal of Deacon's new eye and end with the introduction of the depth gauge. Coming straight out of the wasteland, our special guests this week, the true Ayatollahs of rock and rolla. It is none other than V2A. Hey, hey. Well, hey. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, this is a Drone here from V2A. Hi, and this is Mechanized from V2A. Hiya, guys. Thank you so much for inviting us onto your show. We are so excited to have you here today. This is a fantastic clip to have guests on and a fantastic clip to have you guys on. Oh, thank you so much. You're very honored. Thank you so, <laughs> so much. <laughs> We're big fans of your podcast, so we jumped at the opportunity to join you on this show. Well, thank you. Your normal sphere of media is the Mad Max films, so it is a little bit odd that we invited you on for Waterworld. Do you remember seeing this movie for the first time? What's your, I guess, history with it? Uh, for, for me, uh, the first time I saw it, because I was a massive, I was a little kid and I saw Mad Max 2 and it, it sort of changed my life. It just, never seen anything like it. I wanted to grow up to be a cross between the feral kid and Wes, you know, which is which is what every seven-year-old kid wants to do. Very, it's very, very strange. So George Miller's got a lot to answer for. Look what he's created. <laughs> Look what he's turned us into. And I remember the first time I was seeing Waterworld, and they went, it's like Mad Max. And I saw it, and I was not impressed. <laughs> Being a big Mad Max fan, I was on the opposite side. I was like, this is a outrage. This is, you know. But saying that, since we started playing Wasteland Weekend, they have a boat there, the Ds, and everybody was like, this is from Waterworld. So I think the first year we played there, I watched Waterworld afterwards, again with fresh eyes and i actually really enjoyed it so my initial hatred was it's a mad max 2 ripoff but having watched it again i actually really enjoyed it and i thought the story was really good and, I, and the special effects well the the props and the clothing and the way they went into the depth on the film of like you know it's all nautical and sea stuff you know even like the clothing and everything i thought it was spot on i thought they did a really good job actually mechanized Yes, well, that film is way, way before my time, so I didn't see it that long ago. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but I have to agree. So, it's for me, it was like a cheap version of Mad Max, where Mad Max is in the desert. This is now filmed in the water, and really, it came in after I actually danced in the in the desert in front of the boat that I actually watched Waterworld. <laughs> so it's not that long ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
even down to the little girl in Waterworld, I thought, is that the feral kid? You know, when, it, when I first saw it, I was like, but it, but he but he's a boy and he's now a girl. I was really confused, but uh, I've grown to to enjoy the film now. I'm especially excited to have both of you on for this clip <laughs> because we are in the depths of the D's. You've seen the prop in real life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It is truly bizarre because our first year there, remember, we're from the UK, so we don't even get sunshine. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're in the Mojave Desert. Our first time we're in a desert. It's sort of three in the morning. It's beautiful. sky. The sky is just stunning. There's the boat there from Waterworld in the middle of the desert. We've got 30 very drunk war boys with us. <laughs> Mechanized, do you want to elaborate uh-huh. a bit more on that story? Because it just got worse. Well, I don't know how much we can tell on the show, so oh. <laughs> I have to be very careful. So, yeah, we, we were all a little bit partying right late in the night, night, and it was a lot of, yeah, pole dancing, strippers, and it was a good party on the boat, let's say. What we decided to do is to make friends is we took a load of vodka, mm-hmm. as you do, you know, <laughs> sh- share the wealth. So uh, we, we've got our own sort of V2A vodka, which is like a whipped cream kind of vodka. One of the senior war boys, we got so pickled with the vodka that he got up on the D's. This is our first year ever. Managed to climb all the way up and started stripping off and pole dancing, <laughs> which was a memory burnt into my mind for the rest of eternity. Bright red pants, Captain Red Pants, as we like to call him. <laughs> uh, and I think we should uh, go on to something else rather quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's shift Inside the D's, we saw in episode 31, the collection of smokers that are working inside their sparks everywhere. It has a very Wasteland Weekend feel to it as you're leading into this scene. And as we join in on the clip today, we've got the doctor and he's got this paintbrush and he's dabbing at something. And it's revealed that he's painting up the deacon's new eye. And it's such an interesting tactic to be putting fresh paint on a prosthetic that's already installed in someone's head. (laughs) It's quite realistic of the wasteland and the the whole post-apocalyptic sort of theme is if you did lose an eye and you were the boss, your guys would want to try and sort of impress you by trying to build you a new one. And of course, being surrounded by not the most talented group of individuals, (laughs) that's probably the best way of putting it. So enthusiasm 10, you know, skill, possibly about a two or a three. I think that's the whole wasteland, isn't it? So whenever something breaks, someone, however, finds a way to fix it in any means. Exactly. The amount of gaffer tape holding my stuff on it, Wasteland Weekend, is, is unreal. I like the idea of that instant gratification with the doctor. There's an urgency when you're working with the boss. It doesn't matter if the paint isn't dry yet. That eye needs to be in, even if he's still painting it. Yeah. I, I love the stitches as well. Oh, So realistic looking. <laughs> yeah. Very delicate stitching, you know. Yeah. Chuck it in. And also the best bit, the really funny bit, is when he sort of then asks them, what do you think? The entire room. <laughs> oh, it looks great. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, I wish I had one like that. Awesome. This is just the best. Because otherwise you'd end up sort of down in the oil tank. Yeah, but the kid, the kid spoiled it. Yeah, telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I said never... you. My favorite is the Nord. 
We've gotten to know the Nord as an individual being, as somebody out in the world, like independent and like yeah. in charge and knows what he's doing. And now we see him in this circumstance where he is the lackey. He is the underling. And he is just as brown nosing as everybody else. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And it's always typical that if you were the boss, you'd get the youngest person go, Oi, what do you think, Toby? Younger people are more sort of blunt and honest. Mm -hmm. Right. They haven't learned the ways of the world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the repercussions of... uh... Softening the edges to get by. (laughs) I got my hands, and listeners will be so excited to hear this, that I'm finally starting to incorporate it into the show. But I have not just the young adult version of the novelization, but I now finally have my hands on the full adult version of the novelization. (laughs) And in the book, Toby isn't named specifically. He is referred to as one of the feral kids that run around the deeps. They describe in the chapter that the deacon sees children as the future. And he sees them also as very very, Houston. very wise and very yeah. capable. And so he lets them run roughshod over the ship. <laughs> oh. Ah. That's a very interesting point of view that I can kind of get behind. Yeah. The deacon just, he isn't all bad. He's not the bad, bad guy. No. Just yeah. in some ways. But other ways, it's like, okay, do what you want. We can do that. Just mi- misunderstood. Yeah. <laughs> It, it is quite interesting because when we were talking to Mark Sexton, who was the storyboard artist for Fury Road, he said that the War Boys initially in that were going to be sort of young kids, sort of like 12, 13-year-olds. yeah. But the trouble is they had to replace them for older people because <laughs> of the stunts. So maybe they had the same kind of thing in the film, yeah. i.e. there were kids in the book, but they maybe sort of had to replace them for bigger people, adults. It's hard to have kids on set. So many rules and regulations. Especially when they're behaving in such a way as to be feral. For instance, (laughs) here on page 133, it Uh. says, Over there, huddled on an oil drum fire, a smoker finished a rusty can of Spam and threw it into a trash heap, only to have a handful of dirty feral kids leap for the can and fight over it like the animals they were. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Now try to film that. Yeah, that's quite the visual. <laughs> it, it sounds like it would make a really good remake, actually. You know, more of a darker version. I've often thought about what a remake of this movie would be like, and I think mm. it would be good. I think it would be great. There's so much here. Oh, yeah. Potential. Yes. And also the amount of money they actually spent on it, the sets, they were beautiful, <laughs> though. They really were amazing. It's a shame they sort of didn't keep all that, tow it to, you know, I don't know, California or somewhere. It may, you know, Euro Disney or wherever. Well, they did. The boat did. Well, the boat did. The boat was cool. (laughs) The boat was cool. The boat accidentally, it was sort of falling to pieces and becoming a bit of a hazard. So last year, it was sort of set on fire and and gave back to Valhalla, (laughs) I think. (laughs) I'm trying to to think of a nice way of saying this. Yeah, they, they, they had to torch it because it was getting a bit unsafe. So, that sounds like a perfect way to go. Mm, yeah. But all the years it had, it had like a bi- uh, bikini contest on there every year. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it just went in style. So, it, you know, it had a good afterlife, let's say that. And the bikini contest, if you've never seen the Wasteland Weekend bikini contest, it's open to anybody. 
and it's very interesting. I think last time there was about 300 contestants. Oh, it was just crazy. And then at the end, they get these like um, massive water super soakers and just just zap the whole crowd. (laughs) It's crazy. Awesome. I want to call attention to the doctor here at the top of the clip, because I think we might have glossed over the fact that he is wearing that cannula. A cannula, yeah. Yeah. A dirty one. It is dirty. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited to see this. In the book, it explains what is going through that cannula, because Julia, you were specifically interested in what is going through that. Yeah. You can't yeah. see anything connected, can you? He's not carrying any tanks or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The tubes are supposed to be attached to a series of gas tanks on a wheeled cart which provides the doctor not with oxygen, but with a recreational mix of various gases, a nasal cocktail that he adjusts <laughs> via handles on the tanks, according to his mood. Ooh, I want a oh. thing like that. That sounds like something the deacon should have. Yeah. Because that sounds amazing, especially in a post-apocalyptic land where like just everything's rubbish. A constant feed of uppers and downers and everything in between. I believe that they would want to avoid doing that with the Deacon because then people would see that and be like, oh, that's just Dennis Hopper doing Frank Booth from Blue Velvet all over again. (laughs) (laughs) But but also, I thought he did a stunning job in the role of Deacon. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. And some of the throwaway funny lines, when you watch it multiple times, there's some really, really funny. So how they didn't laugh. You know, how they film that, you know, with the actors without, without cracking up. Because like even the eye bit, the eye bit is so funny. Okay, guys, we're going to stick this really thing, which must have took them about 20 minutes before the shot. You know, let's make it look rubbish. You can imagine some special effects guy going, but I've made this beautiful one. It's took me three weeks and it looks realistic. No, <laughs> we're going to use a ping pong ball, <laughs> paint it silver and use a bit of gaffer tape and blue tack and stick it on your face. So... <laughs> I couldn't do that. I'd be laughing my head off. We tried to do a video one time, didn't we? Mm. We were in Switzerland or something. We were trying to do like this funny advert and we just couldn't stop laughing. It took about 20 goes. Yeah. Everybody walking past us thought we were deranged. I just love how dry the deacon can be with his humor. When he's told it might mess with his perception, the first thing he thinks of is his short game. Like, how much how much putting are you doing? I guess on a boat you can only putt, because otherwise yeah. you lose all your balls. Was that humor actually in the book? They did include it in the book. I'm pretty sure that the way they did the book is that the script was written first and then the book writer came afterwards. So a lot of these lines that are in the movie are still in the book. They're just expanded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Max Allen Collins was given creative license to expand and make things deeper. You know, stretch this what eventually was a two-hour movie into a three hundred some odd page book. Does the book deviate at all from the film? Is it got any extra sort of bits in it, or background stories, or it's mostly just added details? I haven't read the whole thing, admittedly because I only got it a few days ago and I've been distracted with other project stuff. But (laughs) there is so much that is skipped in the young adult novel. If you read the hundred some odd page YA version, you only get Mariner stuff. They don't spend any time with the smokers and it is incredibly disappointing. Right, yeah. Arguably, they're the best part of the movie. 
Yeah. Totally. And yeah. it also it makes sense why they are the smokers and how they've got sort of jet skis and stuff. Because you think, well, it's post-apocalyptic. Where's it going? Oh, they've got the Ds. So they've got a big chunk of oil, but it's running out and they've got to try and find land, et cetera, before they run out of their resources. So it's just awesome. And again, with them all smoking uh, as well, and it's sort of that dirty look. I, th- I think it adds a great aesthetic to the film. The major question that has been coming up that we've never been able to satisfyingly answer is where are all the cigarettes coming from? And I (laughs) feel like the set designers are doing so much work to show every time you see an interior shot of the D's, there are crates and boxes and containers of cigarettes, beer, not spam, but smeat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's for copyright reasons. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Maybe they got the bushes and the kids have to roll it. <laughs> yeah, the little fingers are very nimble. Yeah. That's it. So that's, yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> I thought the inside of the D's was very reminiscent of Escape from LA, no, mm. Escape from New York, that kind of feel, you know, the chaos inside. There's a lot going on. It's a massive boat. The constant sparks flying everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody's always welding. <laughs> the ledger guy arrives and he calls out to the deacon and deacon turns Aww. his head with such gusto that the eye flies out of his head. <laughs> like a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> wow. Are, are you ready, guys? Are you ready? <laughs> Please be sat down because uh, over to you, mechanized. Well, it's really realistic, actually. <laughs> oh, mechanized, that's interesting. Please explain. Yeah. <laughs> One day I've been in London sitting at Piccadilly Circus with my good friend. And while we're sitting there, this homeless guy comes over with his guitar. <laughs> And starts to jump because he felt like, well, you look like musicians and you look like alternative. I need to jump something for you. So we're like, okay, feel free, jump. (laughs) So he starts on his guitar and it's rocking and everything. And suddenly we just see something falling out. (laughs) We're like, what's this? And he's like, oh dear. (laughs) Went down and put it back in his eyes. So it was Yeah, that is another day in my life. (laughs) (laughs) And it seriously happened. And it's like, you know, let's see, when I see it in the film, I was like, oh, Jesus, it's following me my life. (laughs) It's like, yeah. It was destiny that you brought us on for this clip. It was destiny to bring bad memories up, definitely. (laughs) But I can't, you know, this moment, you know, you sit there, so you try to be polite to this guy, you know, yeah, jump with us. And then he's like going for it. And really his head is like flying, hair is flying. And suddenly he's like, blop, 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 blop. And we are like, blop, blop, what's blopping? (laughs) And then he followed it after, takes it and puts it back in. And then it's like, is it all right? And obviously it wasn't. (laughs) Oh, so yeah, so it's it's very realistic in the film, I have to say. <laughs> Sorry. And that poor ledger guy, like, I guess it's good <laughs> etiquette to pick up the eye and kind of wipe it off a little bit yeah, before you hand it go. back to someone. Exactly. That, that that that's you know being courteous, isn't it? You pick up somebody's eye, wipe it down, and then pass it back. So. It definitely reminds me of the mom move of the pacifier <laughs> falling on the ground, and then the mom picks it up. Pops it in her mouth to clean it yeah. off. It gives it back to baby. <laughs> so I was half expecting the ledger oh. guy to pop it in his mouth oh. to yeah. clean it off. 
But the and then give it back. Paint. The paint's the paint. not dry yet. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's where the whole witness me with the silver teeth came from. You know, yeah. it's like uh, they, maybe they tried that. They thought, bloody hell, no. what toothpaste have you been using? <laughs> I think we're on fire on this on this show. We are we are sorting out the world. I've mentioned before that I'm so glad we watched Fury Road minute by minute before going into this because so much of the Mariners story feels yeah. very Fury Road-ish, mm-hmm. but Definitely. not done as well. No. <laughs> yeah. Fury Road was infinitely better than this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we've talked before, like Smokers versus War Boys, who would win? And then the question was raised, what are they fighting on? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, very... they're both so devoted to their own medium that yeah. a crossover would be challenging. I think the War Boys would win because they're a bit more organized, especially yeah, the War Boys in Wasteland. They're they're like a little little army unit. They are, you know, they've got their ranks and they've got Imperators and the ranking. Whereas in Waterworld, I think they're a bit more rough, more of a more of a rabble. Yes, I think the War Boys could more easily adjust to water than the Smokers could adjust to land. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So. I yeah. agree. And the war boys are fighting for more. Their motivations are higher because they're fanatics. Plus super trained buddies. Yeah. Because they're running in the in the world, you know, they're outside in the desert, have to fight for their stuff. And the boat, they're just launching around. They're not really doing much work out today. Smoking and eating spam. Yeah. 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 The war boys lead a relatively healthy lifestyle. Well, they're ill guys, obviously. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They are sick. But, By definition, you know, almost, they are sick. Yeah, they are. But they're super trained. Yeah. You know, they have to pull and push and run and shoot and jump and everything. Yeah. It would be interesting seeing two war boys on a jet ski, though, one driving and a Lancer stood at the back. <laughs> no, be quite funny. But yeah, that's a good picture. That's something we will have to do next time we're over in L.A. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's possible on, you know, you take like the snowboard behind a buggy and they have to sandboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be amazing to see. Wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. It? Okay, yes. next Wasteland weekend. We're, we're going to try it. We're going to try it. <laughs> In the meantime, the deacon, he tosses the eye behind him (laughs) dismissively, probably breaking the doctor's heart. But he says, let's drive. And we cut outside to see an example of tiny fingers hard at work because we have smoking children loading guns. (laughs) Yeah. It's the perfect job for them. (laughs) That's it. You see, I I tell you, they did. I bet. Exactly. <laughs> and also mechanized a good example right in the foreframe as the deacon is coming out of his office there. There is a smoker feet kicked up lying on the ground smoking. <laughs> <laughs> the pure example of why the smokers would lose against the war boys. You see? <laughs> Plus nowadays you wouldn't see anybody smoking in the film anyway. Oh yes, this movie would be rated hard R for all the smoking. Oh my god, yeah. And also, if you've got that many people on a boat who are a bit disorganized and a bit rebellious, all smoking, and it's full of oil, <laughs> you know, it's it's somewhere lasting as long as it did. Yeah. That's all I can say. They've been very lucky so far. <laughs> I think it's a, a classic term. Is it safety third? Well, they didn't have water there. In the first <laughs> yeah, case, it's it water there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's oh, no, true. something's on fire. Let's get some water. Where are we going to get water? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hop into the Deacon Mobile. If 
our listeners are interested in watching a deep dive about the Deacon Mobile, there is a video on the Atoll YouTube page. But as far as what I was able to uncover, the Internet Movie Cars database identifies this vehicle as a burned out and rusted version of a 1961 Lincoln Continental Convertible, which incidentally is the same year, make, and model as the car that John F. Kennedy was shot in when he was assassinated. Oh. Oh. <laughs> wow. Gosh. That seems that goes deep. Weird. Yeah. yeah. Like on purpose. Granted, it is a presidential vehicle. Right. I mean, it's iconic. Yeah. I feel like you don't accidentally choose iconic cars. <laughs> no. Oh, no. It was definitely done on purpose. Yeah. Oh, my God. Huh. I didn't even know that. Okay. Do you think there's any chance that in this universe, it's the same car? Oh, I wonder. Because I'm sure the car still exists. It's probably in a museum somewhere in yeah. storage. So... I guess in the story of the universe, the car would be preserved and the waters are rising and someone in that car museum would be like, oh, I need to preserve this for posterity. And so they throw it on a barge. Yeah. And then the smokers find them and say, oh, this would be the perfect Deacon mobile. Okay. Well, thinking about what life must have been like making that transition from land to a flooded earth, one of the things that would probably be done is take our history and load it onto barges. Mm. So probably museums moved from their museum space to barges and cruise ships and whatnot as that transition was happening. So mm. yeah, floating museums. I never thought about that before, but totally. What a good idea. Yeah, totally. I'm with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah but how different there would, that would be, be like archive ships and stuff. Yeah. Mate. And then of course the, the smokers would find it while they're out and around scavenging. Uh, come back, go, hey, Deacon, I've got your brand new car. Look at this <laughs> Look at this sweet ride. <laughs> <laughs> look what I found. Yeah. Look what I found for you. Mm, there's an idea, yeah. I love the idea that somewhere out there, there's a floating new library of Alexandria. Definitely. The... A cruise ship would be perfect for that. Because oh, you've yeah. got like, all the individual rooms so that you could really organize stuff. Knock out a few walls. If you think the pandemic, you know... Within we are at the moment, who knows what happens to cruise ships? So maybe this is the new future of cruise shipping. <laughs> that would be excellent. If cruise ships could be put to a more humanitarian use. Is there any other major props like that in the film? Is there any other sort of JFK stuff or? Not that we've come across so far. No references that we've seen. Yeah. I'm going to have to rewatch it again. Mm. Yeah. I haven't watched with an eye for it. Yeah. yeah. It's the first time this has ever come up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is there many sort of fan groups still out there for Waterworld? You know, where people... Has somebody actually bought the eye? Does somebody own that eye? Oh, I hope not. I'm inquisitive. <laughs> you know, I want to I build one. And I, I think we need to do an online competition of who can make the best worst eye. That sounds like a competition, doesn't it? Send your photos in. Surprising no one. <laughs> if you search Waterworld on Facebook, you don't get a lot of groups. Right. I am. You wouldn't even get our group, would you? Because <laughs> we haven't put Waterworld in the name of our group. It's still all Mad Maxian. Yeah. Mm. I search Waterworld and I get a lot of like Warhammer 40K and <laughs> That's not... people who play 
Waterdeep, which is a role-playing game, but also things like the USA Water and Wastewater Operations Group. Ooh. <laughs> it's an odd, exciting stuff. It's yeah. an odd word to search for. Hmm. And yeah, you don't get a lot of uh, results you're looking for. Yeah, but I feel Waterworld is such a cult film that in our times, you know, mm. because of Mad Max, because everything is living back up and we are now in our own pandemic and who knows what is post-apocalyptic soon. <laughs> <laughs> No, it is a cult, isn't it? It's a cult film. It, it, you know, not as Mad Max because you only had one water world, didn't you? Yeah. But it's definitely a cult film, I think, personally. Yeah, we're definitely in an era of like reappreciation, and yeah. Waterworld is falling into that category for sure. Mm. I mean, we're covering it. Yeah. That's it. What is the uh, rule of thumb for nostalgia circles? Oh, 20 years? 20 to 30 years. 20 to 30 years. And... This movie is 25 years old, yeah. so we are right it's in the middle of that mid-90s nostalgia timing. boom, right? Yeah. We're all going to have to be wearing our ski boots walking around. Oh. around the... Yes! yes. Maybe if... that's a new one. Maybe that's what we should do, you know, because there's like, we have the desert, we've got the water. Yeah, let's go in the mountains and snow and everything. And that's the 21st century... Post-apocalyptic snow film. Yeah, and it makes yeah. snow fights. But don't use the yellow snow. <laughs> if I'm more, if, if I'm forced to wear snow boots, I am going to find they have little plastic attachments that you can clip onto the bottom of your snow boots hmm. that yeah. give you a rounded sole. So okay. instead of having the clomp clomp of the flat yeah. bottom, you have a bit of a rounded You're thing. Rocking along. I I was walking through Tahoe one time and I saw those in a store window <laughs> and I'm like, that is such an interesting idea. <laughs> Would make it a lot more easier to move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a big thumbs up to Kevin Costner because the physical stuff he did in the film, you know, with flying, jumping around and swinging on stuff. And I think he did all his own stunts. You know, that's especially back in the day, I, you know, that is just awesome. Whereas nowadays it would be sort of, we've got a few friends who are stunt people and they, they do all sort of the CGI facial changing where they get the stunt man to do it or it's all green screen. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think a lot of the stuff in Waterworld was actually like uh, like Fury Road. It was just guys on jet skis. <laughs> it was uh, practical effects. I'm pretty sure that every time you see Kevin Costner's face, it is him. There are a few shots where his face is obscured where it is his stunt double. It's the stunt double that almost died oh, on the wow. movie. Of... I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but yeah, that's the one that Kevin Costner had to use his that's what it was. personal helicopter to fly him to a hospital. Yeah, oh, he got wow. the bends. Oh my God. Came up too fast. Gosh. <laughs> well, if you think the feral kid did all his own stunts and they just let him climb out the car, which was full flying down the road. <laughs> yeah, 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 good, yeah, and poor he's still old, alive. He made it. Good old Evel Minty aged eight or whatever he was. Yeah, Hold on to this truck and we're going to drive really just fast. Climb out the window and just cry and grow. <laughs> we'll put a few pads around it. If he slides off the top, he'll bounce. Kids yeah. are like that. They made a rubber. Uh, we were talking to Dana Grant, who's an awesome lady. She's the Furiosa stunt double. Love Dana. Yeah. She's a delight. Dana is amazing. And she said the first time, I think they were playing around on some of the trucks. They were just trying them out. And uh, she fell off, landed on her head. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, you got it. You're all right. You're all right. She's like, I'm okay. Total professional, that lady. Total professional. Oh, she's amazing. 
She's in the new comic as well, by the way, in our comic. Just sort oh, of throw nice. that one in there. She has her own character. So uh, we have a lot of people sneaking in. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of nostalgia, as they drive along, this music that plays is the Peter Gunn theme. It is the theme music composed by Henry Mancini for the television show of the same name. I think Mancini won an Emmy Award and two Grammys for that music. But the Peter Gunn show is so old of a reference. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like It was a show from the 50s. Uh, yeah. It was a cop show. All right. A guy in, I want to say, L.A. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, it was just, he was a cop, and it was on TV, and the theme that plays as they drive through the Ds is the theme from that show. Okay. That's a bizarre reference. I wonder if somebody on the crew was on that, or, you know, I wonder why that song. It kind of feels like a placeholder. Yeah. Like, let's throw in the <laughs> Peter Gunn theme, and then we'll yeah. think of something right, later we'll on. compose something else <laughs> specifically for it. Or they're like, we don't have to pay any royalties. No, it's yeah. so old. <laughs> it's so old. Yeah, what, what's free? Yeah, we've bl- already blown yeah. the budget a lot. The nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> on the cigarettes. It fits. It does. It works. It, does. it has a very chunky feel to it. You look at the smokers and you're like, okay, yes, this music fits with the situation. I'm okay with it. <laughs> but it is odd. Agreed. But... I didn't spot it because it fits in so well. It's not mm-hmm. out of place. It's it's nothing that's it's like quite abrupt and you sort of grabs you if that makes any sense. Yeah, it fits in with the back with the with the background, so it's it's very well done. Plus, I think it's the only instance of music in the soundtrack that is not specifically made for this movie. Everything else is so orchestral for the film. Yeah, yeah. And this is that one. Maybe it's a needle drop situation maybe the music is playing in the stereo on the d's but i don't want to necessarily say one way or the other hmm. oh yeah their ability to play music i would think would survive because this car is still running mm-hmm. sort of yeah. mostly yeah. <laughs> on the rims yeah <laughs> technically this car is running and they have been able to keep this complex machine alive well playing audio isn't that complex well, <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. When was the film filmed? I think by the time there were tapes. Yeah. So I'm not sure if a tape would have survived being in the water and the salt. Oh, that's true. And that's all true. This. What medium would have been able to survive? Vinyl records? Aren't they notoriously delicate, though? They would be very delicate, so they would scratch. Yeah. Well, CDs? Would, can CDs rust? With salt on it? I have to try no. it. So there is a scene later on in this movie that is actually going to be another guest episode. So listeners, hold on to your hats for that one. The Mariner has a little pinwheel power generator attached up to a CD player, and he is playing old jazz CDs. And I believe that the way they make CDs is it's just a data layer covered mm-hmm. by plastic. So as long as that plastic is unbroken, in theory the data would just exist on there for a long time. Yeah, and yeah. the whole thing about plastic is that it doesn't degrade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't warp. It's not like mm-hmm. vinyl. It's it why we like it. Of... And it's also our downfall. <laughs> 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 and also with CDs as well, people would keep CDs because they look very picturesque. You know, you can go, oh, you know, shiny. Mm-hmm. I've got one hanging in the car as well. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> 
One thing about the Deacon Mobile that I want to get to before we focus on them driving through the D's is the bumper sticker at the back of the car that oh, wow. <laughs> very specifically says nuke the whales, <laughs> which fits so well with the smoker aesthetic of slash burn sorted out afterwards. Yeah. Mm. Yes, it does. And you can believe that when the apocalypse happened, they were probably doing that for food before <laughs> yeah. they ran out of whales. <laughs> now let's blow them all up. They float to the top, pick up steak for the next two years. Yeah, because they have no energy like the robots, as we said earlier. They're, they're not fit to hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would definitely see smokers trying to blow up or nuke a whale. Why do something with finesse when you exactly. can nuke it? Yes. Just nuke it. Boom. If you nuke it, you partially cook it as well. Yeah. Pre-cooked. There you go. <laughs> Modern conveniences. Sometimes you just have to nuke it from orbit because it's the only way to be sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> Good reference there. Good reference. <laughs> there is a bit of a rock and roll, although admittedly more punk connection between Nuke the Whales and the saying in general. It's unclear where it originated, but there is a band called the Fleshapoids, which is a San Francisco band formed by Bruce Poid. They released a song by that name in 1979. So whether or not that song is the thing that inspired the phrase, because Nuke the Whales is a sort of counterculture answer to Save the Whales, as far as bumper stickers are concerned, and the phrase would show up on a cartoon poster in an episode of The Simpsons in 1996. Oh so the phrase yeah. was out in the ether. Yeah. Certainly in the mid 90s. If you want to watch that episode, it's Lisa's Date with Density, <laughs> which aired December 15th, 1996. I shall follow that up. <laughs> Rick, I can just say you are a man of knowledge. Wow. <laughs> Honestly, you, you know, he's not looking at any sort of PC or Google. This is purely from the mind, the mind of the Rick. Yeah. <laughs> As we're driving through the Ds, we get a good example of how overpopulated the smokers are in this one boat that they occupy. Because hmm. there is a plow on the front of the car to push trash and people out of the way. I think that goes down to the whole smoker mentality of they're messy, they use stuff, they just dump it. You know, you can imagine no, nobody's going to... They can't gonna, be bothered to walk. They just want to sit down. Yeah, nobody's <laughs> going to clean stuff. So you can imagine it's just going to get worse and worse on the boat. So I think that's probably for people and just rubbish and everything. They just sort of dump it, leave it where they've used it. The way the smokers swarm around the vehicle, you have to like question, <laughs> is this adoration? Is this desperation? Are they angry because of conditions? Are they hopeful to get some attention from the deacon because he is such a cult of personality figure? I definitely think it's kind of a little bit of everything. There is definitely a cult of personality going on here and also desperation probably for cigarettes. Yes, everybody is smoking, and it's ubiquitous. It's just everywhere. But the way the deacon throws them out, it's like he's being magnanimous. Yeah. <laughs> so it also seems like he is the source of cigarettes. So if they want to keep smoking, which their bodies certainly really, really do, 
they're going to have this desperation to be near him when he's out in public because that's when he throws cigarettes. What are they smoking? Yeah, what kind of cigarettes are oh, they? Oh, you know, yeah. that hasn't even, we haven't even talked about that. We have not even discussed what kind of cigarettes they are and what's actually in them. Because oh, honestly, I just assumed it was just regular. <laughs> and also, that makes sense for him because if you've got an unruly team, if you can get them addicted to stuff that only you supply, mm-hmm. you've got their adjuration, you've got their obedience, and also they're going to follow you more because you know you give the stuff out. So again, they want to keep on the right side of you. As long as he has the supplies of that stuff. It's very important, Joe. Yeah, yeah. very much. Yeah. Speaking of a Morton Joe, you don't need to get your warband hooked on cigarettes because you can just hook them on food and water. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's a scarcity yeah. society. Like, yeah, the water thing can still work. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. You could do the water as well, but I think cigarettes fits in with the smokers is a bit more rebellious nature. It's a better yes. aesthetic. Yeah, it'd be quite funny if they, there was a there was a bit of a a group of of smokers in there who were non-smokers. <laughs> you know, they're all like clean living, and you know, I'm, I'm going to eat salad. They walk laps around the D's every day. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Power walk. That's it. Yeah, yeah. They can walk on water. Yes. I can picture in my head a sort of smoker restaurant, and two smokers walk up to the smoker mater D and. The Mater D says, smoking or non-smoking? And the two smokers that have just arrived say, oh, non-smoking, please. And they just open up a side hatch and toss them out of the boat. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was thinking more about that. Maybe that's what they do. Maybe that's like the best of the bad bunch. Anybody who sort of goes, I don't smoke, or I'm not doing that, off the boat they go. <laughs> They're no longer welcome in this cult. Find your own boat, yeah. which is quite hard be like being part of a motorcycle club and then you sell your motorcycle and it's like well what you're out of the club it's a motorcycle club if you don't have a motorcycle why are you in the club exactly yeah. exactly maybe 2020 jeez trent i'm not gonna carry you on my bike <laughs> yeah apologies to anybody listening who is named trent <laughs> It's just the most obnoxious name I could think of. (laughs) I'm sorry your parents saddled you with it. uh, Apart from Mr. Reznor, so uh, excuse, yeah, he can get away with that. Mr. (laughs) Nine Nails. Trent, you can call yourself whatever you want, you know. I'll just just put that out there in case he's listening. You can call him whatever you want, just don't call him late for dinner. Ayo! God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. As the deacon is driving, he is shouting a few things that I was able to catch in the subtitles. He says, bless you cousins, bless all you cousins over there, keep up the good work, growth is progress, growth is progress, and that is the mantra of the smokers. Not so much what I insinuated earlier of slash burn and sort it out afterwards, it's the idea that the powerful grow more powerful and expand out ever more. They are the church of eternal growth, as it's said later on in the film. And it's an interesting mindset to have, considering we've already seen the atoll where everything is strictly regulated as far as population and supplies and meeting out things to the individual population. Well, when you put it like that, not to get too political, (laughs) I'm also not well-educated on what I'm about to talk about, but that sounds very communist versus capitalist. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Communism 
one of their base tenets is that everybody gets what they need, but that's all they get. And then capitalism is get whatever you can afford to get. Mm -hmm. And we see it's idealized in this setting where the atoll, I'm sorry, the atoll (laughs) seems sort of to be working, but they admit themselves they don't have a real future. Mm -hmm. While we have the smokers who this chaos, there's trash everywhere and people are so incredibly unhealthy, but the population seems to be thriving. Yeah. All they think about is the future. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's what drives them. Yeah. So it seems like the atoll should work better because there is enough for everybody and everybody is taken care of. But it was eh. There's a detail later on in this movie yeah. where the deacon walks up to a picture of the captain of the Exxon Valdez at the time that it ran aground. And he talks to the picture as if it's this deified figure. And a missed opportunity was to replace the picture of the captain with, I don't know, a picture of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> From my side, with the smokers, because they think their philosophies, they've always got to grow and expand. It's sort of to convince them that it's sort of expendable world. We can use stuff, throw it away, because don't worry, we're going to go and find some more stuff or rob some more stuff, and things are going to get better because we're just going to find another massive boat and then hijack that. And they're not creating anything. They're more like a cancer, if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense. So the only way to survive is to spread. Yeah. Or they're going to just burn themselves out. They're consumers. Exactly. It's like the deacon said earlier, there used to be atolls on every horizon. The world was their oyster, and... They're slurping a little too heartily from that proverbial shell. Mm. (laughs) So I guess the political lesson to take away is that you got to find something in the middle. Yeah. You got to find a society where we are free to do what we want and to pursue things the way that we want to, but we also are all taken care of. I mean, Mm. ideally, we all grow gills, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. An interesting question to you guys, was he the only one in the film with gills? Mm. You know, were there other people sort of lurking around in the background who were possibly going through the same transformation but trying to keep it quiet? Possibly not. Or it would have been a second version of the film. I think the first film just didn't didn't make that much money, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) They were slightly disappointed with the cash. We did not get Waterworld 2 Aquatic Boogaloo. Or Unfortunately, no. To water, to world. <laughs> Rick, in the original script, mm-hmm. which you have and have read, I have not read it yet. <laughs> the Mariner was the result of purposeful mutation, correct? In the comic book that was released after the film, the first issue opens up with a sort of dream that the Mariner is having, and in the dream it is insinuated that purposeful genetic tampering happened. In the book and in the screenplay, the Mariner was just born that way. It was something that he has always had. Okay. It's never specifically said, this is exactly where it came from. If people are messing around with genes to produce someone who can breathe underwater, they wouldn't have done it just once. Mm -hmm. First of all, There'd be a whole slew of people that it didn't work on or didn't work as intended on. So there'd be a whole range of people 
that maybe have gills that don't function or that they look drastically different. There'd be a whole range. And then if it works and you come up with the mariner who can genuinely breathe underwater, you don't stop. Yeah. You succeeded. This is the future of the world. Mm -hmm. You keep going and you make more. So depending on how he got there, there should be more. Speaking of jeans, in the book, it describes the Mariner's outfit as cut off jeans. Oh, oh, that's awful. <laughs> he's not wearing shark leather pants. No, he is wearing and he shorts. Swims in those. Yep. Gosh, <laughs> he wasn't wearing double denim, was he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is this is. Uh... Oh my god! Well, at least at least the film wasn't made in the seventies, and he had massive flares on in platforms. <laughs> so sideburns. So that's that's a plus. Think how amazing it would be to live on Waterworld and find a storage container full of Jinko jeans that are two and a half feet wide at the bottom. Yeah. And you've got all this raw material. You can just pull yeah. the stitching out. Yeah. <laughs> Denim is good material. It is very like good it's, material. It's rugged. They do say that, you know, in the post-apocalyptic denim and trousers, that type of stuff will survive because that stuff... You can get vintage ones from like the 1920s that people still wear. So that stuff is built to last. Yeah, you get some from Primark now. It doesn't last a month. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess if you had a post-apocalyptic situation, it wouldn't so much be everybody wearing leather. It would be everybody wearing denim. So it would be nothing but, what do they call them? Canadian tuxedos? Denim on denim? Yeah. <laughs> double denim. It's not a double good luck. D's. Yeah, the double D's. Oof. Not a good luck. <laughs> oh my God. That's why Mad Max is always in Australia, not in it, America. It, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and also, thanks to the people who did Waterworld to go, no, we're not wearing denim. No. <laughs> but get as much fishnet stuff as you can. <laughs> and we're going to make them look cool. I would think as well, in that sort of environment, there would be more cannibalism. Because if you imagine, if there's no sort of cattle or there's nothing like that, it doesn't really go too far into how much fish there is out there. Because by the sounds of it, they've already blown up all the whales and everybody's been trying to eat all the fish. Also very one-sided diet, isn't it? Just mm. fish? Well, or do that's... they eat seagrass, possibly? Yeah. Can't see a smoker eating seagrass, though. <laughs> I just thought it might be quite interesting out there, if they ever did other ones, having like a cannibal clan mm. who would just be out there preying on other people like you know you do see in these other type of post-apocalyptic things where all your other resources have ran out if you mm. imagine you're, you're floating on a boat what what are you going to eat yeah it will happen isn't it that's cannibalism then isn't it will they eat each other yeah because you've only got two bad guy factions that are discussed in this movie the smokers which we see a lot of and the slavers which we see none of yeah so it makes sense that there would be other non-atoll groups or even just atolls that are by the way this is a cannibalism atoll so don't hang around too long mm. so they drop anything out in the book to lead on to like a second story as if they were trying to gear up for you know water world 2 well i'm assuming that the end of the book is just as open-ended as the end of the movie mm. okay where it's the mariner just sailing off into the sunset sort of thing what I like about the book, Max Allen Collins, he decided that he would write a prologue to the movie, and the prologue is so blatantly a ripoff of the old person narrator trope from Road yeah. Warrior 
It's seriously like, oh, I'm old and I'm telling you this story of the time I knew the Mariner. And I'm like, oh, my God. Come on, Max. Come on. Did they get hit with copyright when it came out from George Miller? Something must have gone. Because it was close. It was different enough. Oh, right. Yeah. And George doesn't really strike me as the kind of person that would go after people. Well, maybe not him, but I would have thought more maybe... Whoever the film company, you know, is it Warner Brothers? Warner Brothers. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can see them. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Because <laughs> they'd be like, this is just Mad Max on water. Yeah. <laughs> if someone came out with a Mad Max knockoff that was of sufficient quality to merit yeah. litigation, yeah. Warner Brothers would do it. But they saw all of the Italian Mad Max ripoffs that were coming <laughs> out, and they were like, oh, this is... This is not worth the effort. Yeah. <laughs> There's obviously no money here. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I, I have seen most of those Italian Mad Max ripoffs. There were some stinkers out there. There really oh, was. Gosh. True stinkers. Yeah, we've watched, watched some a few. post-apocalyptic ripoffs. They're oh. they're interesting. Some of them are good. Like I thought, Salute of the Jugger. Yeah, that was good. Was better yes. than it had any right to be. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. Salute of the Jugger. <laughs> V2A have got our own Jugger team, by the way. Oh. Yeah. And also they play a lot at Wasteland Weekend. If we ever go to Wasteland Weekend, we absolutely need to watch a Jugger match. Oh, you will every day. (laughs) We got to go to the Thunderdome. We got (laughs) to see the Jugger match. Also, you've got to see that also our friends, uh, the Wasteland Gladiators, Mm -hmm. they do full body weapon fighting. They're in like armor. In a cage. In a cage, like suits of armor. Mm-hmm. And they've got like a big wooden stick thingy, uh, and it's like full combat. yeah weapons. It's like oh, yeah, yeah wooden weapons and metal Crazy. weapons, and they beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Just a big shout out to what we've got our own wasteland gladiator fighter called Captain Timmy. So a big <laughs> shout out to Captain Timmy. Witness Captain Timmy. He is literally half the size of every other gladiator out there. So he's <laughs> five foot. Maybe. He's got a low center of gravity. Yeah. Very low center. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody loves him. He's got the heart of a lion and the body of a small hamster. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good way of summing it up. Captain Timmy, we love you. That is perfect because speaking of small bodies, here at the end of the clip, we are plunged into darkness. And as a lid is ripped open, it is revealed that there is a emaciated old man sitting in a dirty little dinghy and this guy is our depth gauge here on the d's and he is a delightful little goblin of a character and i love him so much delightful is the perfect word for him (laughs) the way he speaks good morning or night or whichever the case may be (laughs) it's so good that is totally true because in the future when you've got a job to do, but you're not very high tech, mm. how much oil do we still have? I know we're going to stick a little old bloke in a boat and they go down there and tell us. So, you know, it's, I can see where they're coming from. That would happen. <laughs> <laughs> he should have his own vinyl pop. That's all I can say. I want a vinyl pop. <laughs> a little old bloke with the, with the glasses on. Oh, oh man. Legendary. Also, when they write these characters, they must have had a, 
a giggle when they wrote that because he is like a comedy element in the film. Well, I find mm. him highly entertaining and lovable. Oh, for sure. Considering how much Kevin Costner was involved in the actual making of the movie, I'm kind of surprised that there are so many of these small comedic elements because he strikes me as a stick in the mud. Have you noticed so far that a lot of the more comedic elements of this movie are happening when Kevin Costner isn't around? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Absolutely. When we're on the trimaran, it's, ooh, this is serious. We are in the end of the world. And when we're on the Ds... (laughs) It's just chaos. It's Dennis Hopper being Dennis Hopper. It does look like two sort of film crews, one following Kevin Costner around, and he's doing that pouty actor kind of look and then the other film crew just having a right laugh yeah you can tell which crew got to be (laughs) on land in a sound studio and which crew had to be out on the ocean (laughs) also i want to know what other films that guy's been in the depth gauge who is this man where's his funko pop and what other films has he been in because he was really good in that his delivery is so great it really is so William Preston is the name of the depth gauge here. I don't have the full breakdown that I usually do for this guy, but he's kind of a minor character, all told. He isn't showing a lot of acting credits over the course of his career. From the looks of things, he started out in 1973 in a movie called Malatesta's Carnival of Blood, where he played a character named Sticker, and his latest appearance was in a 2009 short called Icy Waters, where he played Mr. Lipinski. His top four on IMDb are Waterworld. He was also in the 1992 film Far and Away, where he played a blacksmith. He was in 1991's The Fisher King as John the Bum. And in 1996's The Crucible, where he played George Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, Rick, I would like to say your memory is stunning. <laughs> Honestly, you just have a little second of thought and it just pops out. <laughs> I think Rick is a Terminator. I think he's one of these machines from the future. He was born 1921 in Columbia, Pennsylvania. He died July 1998 after a brief illness in New York. Wait, so he passed in 98? Yeah. Wait, didn't you say he was in something in like 2006? Well, he was in a short in 2009. Okay. So I'm willing to bet anything after 1998 is posthumous. Might have been a ghost film. That is a very long time for a short film to be (laughs) sitting on a shelf somewhere. It is. If it's like an independent production, that, that happens. Might be. Yeah. Or, or as Mechanized said, maybe he played a ghost. <laughs> played himself in a, in a ghost film. You know, seeing his performance in Waterworld, I believe it. He, he could. <laughs> the guy has talent. He yes. has talent. So he is a bit of a late bloomer as far as actors are concerned. He was a bookkeeper in Philadelphia up until about age 50 when he started acting. He was actually a regular on the Conan O'Brien show between 93 and 98 as Carl Oldie Olson. Okay. I don't outright recognize him, but there is something familiar about him. He also has a twin brother named Robert. Huh? Maybe it's Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any collectible figures? Of the depth gauge? Yeah. I've Ooh. not seen or a t-shirt, because that would be an awesome t-shirt, wouldn't it? It would. And if there isn't, why not? Why not? (laughs) 
The message at the end of the day is that we need Waterworld Funkos. Exactly. It's got to be. It's going The Deacon think... with one eye. Okay, if they make the Deacon, <laughs> they need to make a version <laughs> where the eye can pop out. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It comes back and in. Yes, yeah. on a spring. Like yeah. one of those little shooters. Like yeah. you squeeze yeah, the you eye. You squeeze the head and the eye pops out. <laughs> yeah. Or like a double, but he gives him the eye back. <laughs> I'm liking it. What we should do, we should get you two guys on our YouTube show. Uh, and on that weekend, we, what we do, we'll all have a go at making our own Deacon eyes, and then we can have a mm. bit of a competition. Who can make Ooh. the best? Oh, that like sounds that. good. Put it to the public. Let the public vote. But there's so <laughs> many opportunities with collectibles, and and I'm surprised they haven't gone back with Funko Pops. You know, going back because they, they they do all the classic sort of merch from everywhere now, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Well, we're not going back off making money, but when the film didn't make any money, so why would Funko Pops do? That's true. Mechanized coming in, reminding us <laughs> yeah. that money makes the world go round. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She is the voice of reason. That's all I could say. The voice of reason. Sorry. Sorry to break it. <laughs> I think straight after this podcast, I'm going to go on eBay and have a look at skiing boots. Mm. I've got this urge to buy skiing boots. It's, it's going to be the, the big thing at Wasteland Weekend next year. Bit yeah. stinky, won't it? as long as you're wearing some sort of boots at wasteland weekend right mechanized oh yeah definitely i would not go without any (laughs) big platforms mechanized can you explain why you've you've suddenly now are fond of big boots because that is a story in itself i love that story (laughs) this happens to her all the time you know this is her life well, I'm in England, so the, the, the worst things we have, or even in Germany, the worst things we have is budgets or some bigger birds. That's all we have. So we don't have to be scared of any wildlife. And when I was the first time in the wastelands and I came out of the bus, you know, I was really happy to be on sand and I was barefoot. And then I was told that there are tarantulas and scorpions. <laughs> so from that point onwards, I really just wore big, really big high plateau <laughs> shoes and I was never seen without them, really. <laughs> God, no. And it's all peppermint spray. All our boots while we're in the desert are all peppermint sprayed. So I don't go any chances. I'm really, I do not like critters. Sorry. <laughs> it just like freaks me out. Well, here at the end of the episode, as I like to say, it is always good when two drifters meet that something be exchanged. So Drone Mechanized, could you please let our listeners know where they can find the full offering that v2a has on the internet well you can find us anywhere first of all we have got our music so we we have have so many sides to v2a so we're not just basically a music band to do music so we do music we do podcasts we are now doing comics and it's so much more to v2a than just music as you know so well go out in the wild world you type in v2a and i'm sure we are popping up somewhere we have our own cult, obviously. So yeah, the cult of V2A. <laughs> so you can join that for drinking and partying. For our hardcore fans who dress up and everything with all our uh, festivals, uh, it's the, the cult podcast. Of v- people will, will like it. Yeah, they won't <laughs> see that. But yeah, we we have a cult because especially when you see people that you used to go to school with, they like a. Uh, you know, how are you do? What are you up to nowadays? And you go, I'm a cult leader. 
And then they 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 walk off rather quickly for some reason. But what I can say is just V2A. It's it's more like a family. So no matter where in the world we are, we have such a great fan base, which became friends. And it's just like great, you know. It's not just like we just do something and you buy our product and off. We are very much connected with our fans. We see them as friends and family, like Wasteland. You know, we are now part of the V8 of the War Boys. So it's just so amazing. You know, it's just like a big big family. It's just awesome, and I love it. And then we've also, we're really good friends with a lot of the Mad Max actors. So Emil Minty and all that. Lot. We've got a lot of guys that we work with directly who have got their own characters in the comic. Uh, we also love you guys. Ah. You are awesome. <laughs> Everybody from sort of post-apocalyptic fans, they've all got the same kind of genuinely nice people. And we find that wherever you are in the world, so we've got loads of friends now in uh, Australia, even Japan. There's a mass- massive Mad Max community in Japan. And everybody's got that connection. Everybody's fans, everybody's friends. Everybody sort of sticks together and helps each other. So it's it's a lovely community. And a big up Waterworld. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> Pass Bring it on, Waterworld. <laughs> Yeah, we need a new D, so make a new film, we need the boat. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a blast having you. Listeners, jump on YouTube, watch all of the episodes that V2A has put out for Freak Show. They've had some amazing guests in the past, so be sure to check that out. As for us, come back next time where we get to see the Depth Gauge deliver some bad news. We'll see the Deacon emphasize the importance of finding Enola, and the Mariner will get his water filter working again. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Ire by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute. And like us on Facebook by searching Mad Max Minute and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash madmaxmin. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 32. We'll see you next time.